Welcome to the Short Funk Podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today, Helena Sarah Schildkraut. Helena Sarah Schildkraut was my great aunt. She was born in Krakow in 1926, and she died in Auschwitz in 1943. Helena Sarah, and even knowing her name, is something that I found. She was just a face in a photograph, a very old photograph that many members of the Barbelay family had scanned or had as copies of photographs, but no one actually knew her name. And this is, in fact, indicative of a lot of what occurred in the Holocaust. People just disappeared in terms of their identities, in terms of their names, in terms of their relations. And when I started to develop my interest in my family history, it was based on my grandfather, my Barbelay grandfather, not really knowing what happened to his family. But curiously enough, through starting this process, I have now communicated with and connected with on Facebook more than 30 family members that I never knew about, just through second cousins and, you know, great-grandparents, great-uncles and aunts and these kind of things. The family knew enough of other family members who knew enough of other family members in order to create this thing, this entity. And through doing this, I've reaffirmed that history plus DNA plus vast databases that exist online produce a unique opportunity to understand a little bit more about history. When I think of the concentration camps and when I think of the folks that guarded the concentration camps, that run the concentration camps, the bureaucrats behind the concentration camps, I can't think of these folk as evil people. It's just impossible. There were too many of them. They came from a variety of different walks of life, and they all came together in order to, at least in my case, make sure that my great-aunt and great-uncle and their grandmother were gassed to death at Auschwitz. In reflecting on what happened in the Second World War, specifically relating to the Holocaust, but also looking at what Nazi Germany was as a state, I realised that this idea, this concept, still exists today. A lot of the folks that existed in the higher echelons that weren't tried in Nuremberg or one of the other war crimes courts moved to the US. Some were also forcibly moved to the Soviet Union as well. And these people became part of the bureaucratic function or the propaganda function or the film function or NASA. And their ideas, their skills, their perceptions permeated. I once sat on a train going through Germany. I can't remember where it was from and to. I think it might have been Frankfurt to Bonn, potentially. And an elderly German man sat next to me. He was very friendly. I had, well, broken understanding at least of German. He had no English. And I just listened to him for an hour and a half, acknowledging certain things that I understood, kind of gesticulating to get broader explanations associated with the stuff that he was talking about. But I realised that this happy older gentleman could have been in the SS. In fact, the SS still gets state pensions, those who are still alive. And I reflected on this culture of bureaucrat, this mentality that enables people to commit war crimes, or at least participate in the extermination of millions of people, without batting an eyelid, going home to their wives every evening, smiling, 
feeling that they had done a good day's work. And to use a term like evil in these circumstances is a misuse of the language. In actual existence, these people still continue on to this day. They exist in all forms of bureaucracy. And the notions of morality, of how did they not know that they were committing such horrible acts, all these kind of things can be easily twisted in a relatively short period of time. You can go back to a wide variety of psychological experiments in groups and realise that most of us would probably be pathological bureaucratic killers given the right kinds of environments. We as a society, particularly those of us that would like to think considerably outside the box, should be mindful of this and actually work towards certain discourse that means that these kind of bureaucrats, these kind of folk who would be comfortable in enacting future holocausts and comfortable in enacting current holocausts, that these people are changed through some aspect of discourse. This is very challenging. It's intellectually challenging, particularly for independent thinkers in this light. But we can't continue to perpetuate a class of folk that are comfortable with mass extermination. How do we change these people's minds? How do we change the circumstances where these people are never able to enact this kind of behavior ever again? Well, I think it's actually a radical social change that needs to occur. And, you know, folks such as Heron Stone might talk about linguistic changes and these kind of things, but underlying it all, if many of us, most of us, in fact, have the propensity to be thrust into these kind of circumstances, we need to create societies where this will never happen. And I reflect on Helena Sarah Shilkrad. The photo I have of her is when she is about 14. Tall, round face, long hair, thin as a rake. This is just after the invasion of Poland, the photo that I have. And it's the element of looking out of the photo at you that demands responsibility associated with the inaction of this kind of horror going forward. Tom Barbelay in San Jose, signing out.